in a world where labor unions and parties find themselves captured by the very interests they are meant to resist. One bear and one lady are recapturing the spirit of the proletariat and your heart. This winter, cuddle up with knackers and the vag. Comrade, worker, endurer of podcasts, welcome to Knackers, Knackers, Knackers and the Vag, Vag, Vag. One 51-year-old girl with a desiccated uterus, one bare commodity and one proper guest. And we are on tour here on Knackers and the Vag on frequent flyer points and generous Patreon donations. Oh, well, no, not donations, um, you know, sacrifice of your wage for my livelihood. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Helen Razor. Please, please, please. I need to go to the dentist. Oh, my heavens. I was the last to know. I had read the name Dr. Elizabeth Humphreys. Now, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Hello, Helen. For raising the tone. <laughs> well, that's yet to be determined. You have a we'll proper see. book with a hard cover out. It's outlandishly expensive, which is a sure sign that it's good. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Academic prices. Yeah, what, what is that? It, oh, anyway, sorry. The book is called uh, How Labor Built Neoliberalism. I only read the chapter that I could find on the internet at no cost. It may or may not be lying around the internet floor. You know, you may be able to find a copy. But so it was released in April of this year, just before the Australian election, and it and, and it upset quite a few people, I imagine, um, because you make the outrageous proposition in the weeks before God's death, that's the you know, Australian Prime Minister Bob Bob Hawke, that the Australian Labor Party introduced what we now call the neoliberal era to Australia. Now, this is just a fact. That's right. I think people <laughs> like you and I accept it as a fact, but generally when academics... Like, I'm sorry, what do you mean people like... People who are critical of what happened with the Labor Party under Hawke and Keating in the 80s and 90s, I think see that people, as neoliberal. Yeah, but, but also people who, you know, bother to find out what neoliberal means because it's ill-defined in the, in the press. It's bandied around like a slur and rarely defined. I think that's true. And there's big debates in the academic press as well, uh, academic, uh, amongst academics, like what neoliberalism means. But I think we know it when we see it. Generally, people are talking about the expansion of free trade, the undermining of working or labour conditions, attacks on trade unions, privatisation. Fine-grained definitions of, of phrases um, or words is important in your gig, right? Like you all have to agree or you may enjoy disagreeing or you may feel compelled to disagree about how you use this particular word. Like you work with knowledge, right? So you have to do that. But for those of us who don't have the patience for such things all the time, would it be not just easier to talk about neoliberalism as a period of time? I think that does make it easier. Disagreements about definitions are not, they're not just purely for the intellectual concern of it. It's to try and actually what understand what happens in the real world. 
and people are just trying to think. I know. After the 1970s economic crisis and the oil shocks and, you know, unemployment and inflation going up, how do we understand how economic policy changed? Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, any discipline and any workplace, you need to agree to, I wasn't saying ivory tower or anything. Oh, no, I don't think... I don't think there's a lot of dis- a lot of agreement. But, yeah, you're trying to work out where you and other people agree and disagree in how you understand the world. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm sort of, I, I guess, more interested uh, about how it gets uh, used in sort of like everyday discussion. Now, yeah. I see people, and I understand, like it, it's it's been ill-defined. Yeah. It's never sort of like outright celebrated, like these days, like you hear it as a criticism. Definitely. Like whilst in the past some neoliberals called themselves neoliberals, I think now it's used as a term of criticism. So it's usually progressive media academics and activists who are trying to describe the sort of regressive economic changes that happened regressive in their opinion that happened from the 1970s onwards, late yeah. 1970s onwards. So uh, some Patreon comrades and actually quite a few people who have just asked for a, a working definition. Yeah. So it's okay to think of it as a period, right? For in, sure. In the West, um, it has... Look, if in my book, like to, to give yeah. you an example, there's a whole chapter trying to periodise neoliberalism to try to say... It's different in different countries, but there is a period where the the advanced capitalist countries, some people call the West, but I don't like the terms West and East, so the advanced capitalist countries are trying to reorient their economies to try and deal with the economic crisis of the 1970s. And they need this, va- what I call the vanguard neoliberal period, where there are big picture, big token economic reforms. Unions get attacked uh, workplace laws get deregulated, dollars get floated like in Australia, the financial sectors get deregulated, things get privatised, free trade is on the up rather than and that tariffs are being abolished. These, So it needs these big kind of reforms to try and reorient the economies mm. so in the opinion of mainstream economists. That, that, that was what was needed. Yeah. So, I've, I mean, I've seen it used variously because when we speak in everyday terms and when we try to understand the toilet broth in which we live, people may use it in a way that you wouldn't use it, but, you know, maybe a bit misleadingly, but I don't think that that's bad. You haven't made a mistake. No, it doesn't matter. uh, So, you know, I've seen some people say, uh, you know, use it as a virtual synonym for racism, which is possible, right? So one of the things that I understand that the neoliberal period, especially in Australia, so these 30 years of like uninterrupted growth, right, GDP, that we're supposed to be celebrating. Well, we're celebrating this year in Australia. In Australia, you know, you see it written about in the New York Times and whatnot as a miracle. What can we learn from Australia? Well, you can come and look at the way people live and you'll find that it's in the tort and that our economic growth is not shared by many, but it but is... But isn't that... It's one of the very first concepts I teach undergrad students is about GDP. The way it's talked about in the media yeah. is as if this is a good thing, right? That GDP growth equals good. But when you look at what GDP 
is it doesn't tell you exactly what you were saying, whether wealth is shared equally. So, you know, Australia's GDP has been uninterrupted for a long period, but that doesn't tell us anything about the cost of living in Australia. It hides the fact that environmental damage when you clean it up is a GDP positive, right? That records as a positive thing. Um, Whereas people in a sharing economy is outside GDP, so therefore it doesn't add to national wealth. So So who knows what era we're in now, but let's say the more advanced state of decay of neoliberalism because in in the West what it 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 didn't help everyday lives there were portions uh, of of populations that did better out of it and you know Modi is doing from what I understand right like so you know everyone who is considered by mainstream press a progressive such as Justin Trudeau the Disney prince from hell um, did you see that picture of him? Actually, it was quite marvellous. He looked so insincere. He was wearing traditional dress or his version of it and, um, you know, he was thumbs up Modi. But Modi is now using a version of this of the same techniques in India, right? I mean, they've been doing it in India since, what, like 92, something like that? Yeah, different countries have used different neoliberal policies. It doesn't look the same everywhere. No. But really it's about increasing profitability and reorienting economies. and But it's also about um, fictitious capital, right? So that's uh, assets written down on paper? Yeah, so certainly some academics have have been particularly focused on what they call financialisation, right? So the incorporation of everyday life into financial markets. Yeah. But if we – I'll give – like there's a really practical example of that. It sounds – really abstract when you say it. Superannuation, which we all have paid for us or we pay if you're self-employed, like, right? No, no. I mean, well, you don't have to. I mean, you couldn't afford to if you're, I mean, most of us who are self, so-called self-employed, I don't think that I'm required legally to pay the superannuation, like the what in the US they call the 401k. But um, but it's basically a privatised pension. Yeah, like it's fucking So outrageous. we're saying instead of in retirement, the government paying you a pension, you're going to have your own superannuation to draw on. Okay, so but I... where is that money, right? Where is the super? It's speculated on financial markets. Okay, so this is, um, I've been sniffing around to find out about superannuation because superannuation, and do you cover it in the book? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so, so okay, super, superannuation, well, I mean we're too... We're two young crazy ladies, you know. We're wearing black jackets. <laughs> We're up with the youth beat. And superannuation, not a fun discussion. So um, I, I'm getting the sense, right, that you're saying, yeah, like financialization, which may, I mean, it depends who's using the term, right? But in, um, instead of us saving our own money no, for no, retirement, this I'm, money is now held by other people and put onto financial markets. Yeah. And that's all they're saying. Speculated and gambled in assets and derivatives and, and other financial products. And that's really, really risky. So one thing people are saying about the neoliberal era is, yes, people may on paper have this superannuation, but actually if the stock market tanks like it did a period ago, you can lose your superannuation. There's a lot of individual risk in the yeah. neoliberal era. I mean, there is there are large numbers of people who don't pay into it. I mean, you know, uh, older women have very little um, 
millennials, uh, Zeds who are moving into the the labour force. You know, I mean, who can afford to pay superannuation? It's not a legal requirement. So there's what about twenty percent of us now working in? I mean, I know. Like, but even if it's not a legal requirement, even if you work for other people, because superannuation is based on what you earn, and women tend to earn less, and white men turn to earn the most. Okay, so it's, it means it's, it's, that sorry. if you're wealthy in your life, in your job, you're wealthier in retirement. And the people who've been disadvantaged in the labour force have less super and they're more disadvantaged in retirement. So it just entrenches the disadvantages of the labour market into the retirement period. What, so what interests me, I mean, I don't know, I'm not, you're the expert on the union movement or the union constipation, as I like to know <laughs> it, in Australia. And I just thought, well, okay, I'm really going to try. I'm going to, um, you know, to talk to my psychologist about some, you know, medication, um, <laughs> you know, and try to go to union meetings and not be myself um, because that's not acceptable, like um, not just because I'm an irritant but because I tend to just get a little bit angry with – so I'm like a like a lot of – like a self-employed worker, right, mm. or freelance writer and we can't organise. What we can do is go on strike. It's perfectly legal for us. Right? We have no contracts. There's no expectation. Some editors might be, you know, okay with us doing that. They usually get behind, like, our union, the Media, Entertainment and Arts mm. Alliance. And so I thought, you know, I'm really going to go. And there were some great gals uh, who were my organisers. But, you know, we were discouraged not by those girls, but we were discouraged from from striking, and I bet. I mean, you have to be a strikes pain. are at an all time low yeah. in in Australia. But I mean, it's not illegal. Like it's basically illegal to go on a strike. Yeah, you can only go on strike when you're in a period of enterprise bargaining, right? And that's really really limited. And you can only do it after you have a ballot, and you can only do it under certain circumstances. But you know, the last email I got from about my research from someone I didn't know was from. Um, a woman in South Africa who's an academic who found my book and thought that it also spoke to the experience in South Africa where the right to strike has been curtailed recently under, again, the ANC, a, a, a left of centre um, social once, democratic once party. Once revolutionary communist. Yeah, and so for her she was saying like the, the big sort of organising she does outside her academic job is organising amongst brokerage workers, so workers who do not have, who are not employees, right, and are in large numbers and trying to get them converted into permanent ongoing work. Mm. So there's a big differences between South Australia, uh, South Africa and Australia, and yeah. there's big differences between both those countries and Finland, but in all three countries... Finland's a horror the show. The unions have been involved in managing the dissent of working people and attempting to suppress kind of industrial activity that might have in the past fought for better wages and conditions. Yeah. And um, So you're a pretty orthodox Marxist, although you are a, you're a sparky lady and I'm sure you say what's on your mind um, and are, you know, 
what do they call it on the television? Robust debate. Like you, you'll have a, a yell at somebody and, 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 and appreciate it. But Sure. That's how uh, yeah. ideas move forward. Okay. So you've had shit jobs before this one. Look, I'm lucky. I've had, I've had quite good jobs in government and you uh, grew up near the, uh, in Werribee in Melbourne. And what's Werribee's greatest feature apart from the zoo? Oh, and the sewerage farm. You can smell it there, can't you? No, you can't smell you can't? it. No, but you could smell um, manure on the farms, at, right, well, at Werribee South. So depending on what way the wind was, like, but that's the way people always talk about working class people, isn't it? Dirty, smelly, uneducated. Uh, it, it is, but they're not aware that they're doing it. I mean, some people are and some people do it on purpose, but... Let me just say, though, like I was lucky because I grew up in, you know, I was born in the 70s and I was in high school in the 80s and university in the 90s. These were really, really tough times for lots of working families. Mm. But I, I was lucky to be in a family where my father kept his job through through the 80s and 90s. And if you could keep your job, and he worked in an oil refinery, that is a well-paid job for a working class person. He was a shift worker with penalty rates, with a strong union. Actually, my experience of those recessions were, it was really, really tough, right? Double-digit unemployment, uh, inflation, mortgages through the roof. But God, if you lose your job in a recession... Um, how tough is life? You lose your house, you lose your ability to rent. These are, you know, so like, yes, I came from a working class background, but you're also conscious of how lucky you can yeah. be. I, what I wanted to know was like more of, um, you know, have you have you had an experience in any of the unions that you've joined? Because I'm supposing that you've always been a member of a union. Yeah, yeah. Where you have been like overwhelmingly depressed by the experience. Do you ever... Have you ever been personally afflicted by doubt in your union, not naming names, of course, and do you ever feel, because, like, I get emails from kids because I'm no kind of expert whatsoever. Like, I will read your book. I'm actually strangely interested in this topic and strangely interested in how superannuation <laughs> has changed the fucking union movement. It's only like four pages. But, but no, no, but because a lot of the people are both elected officials and, and you know, paid organisers, they go and work in the superannuation industry. That's absolutely true. And that's something I mentioned in the book. It's not like something These I invented. Really good wages. And, you know, being on the boards of super funds is one thing that union officials have done. So as unions have become weaker, the careers of some union officials have become more enmeshed in this massive superannuation project. It's the biggest capital fund in the country. So it's a huge, it's, is it There's a lot of difference between the lives of people who are in certain unions and the sorts of money and security that those union officials have. But yeah, no, I, th- I mean, but that's like that's really. There easy. are problem with there are problems with unions, but for me, writing a book that is critical of the unions' involvement and the ALP's involvement in neoliberalism is about having an argument about how we create a better world. It's not just to set out to trash unions. I know that's not what you're saying. No, but I think no, some no. people worry that we can't criticize unions. But well, my attitude you, you, is you can't. You can't criticize. And if we a don't union. understand the past, how do we actually create? 
better working or working people's organisations in the future. Yeah, my union. Um, and a comrade sent me this. It was a long discussion on should we allow Helen Razor, a member, a, a journalist member, as is Julian Assange, as my union keeps forgetting. Um, but you, you know, they, they find that insulting. I mean, I think that it's not outrageous. I'm not doing anything terrible to say that the union has turned its back on a man in prison, forget what, you know, you think about him. He doesn't deserve prison. You know, I mean, when will it occur to you that that could fucking happen to you? I mean, for me, that's a, you mentioned South Africa before. Um, in, uh, you know, internationally, who, w- what were the groups, like, who had still not been crushed then? What was the real force outside South Africa that stayed on the case? Oh, it's absolutely true that the union movement internationally was involved in solidarity with black South Africans and um, others who were trying Not just to resist involved, apartheid. Committed. Absolutely committed. Like, absolutely. It was, it was a thing. And it was like, I don't know, say, for example, the, un- the, the main union I do research on is the Metal Workers Union, which one of the most important right. and militant working class unions in Australian history. And when you go and see their files, you see stuff about apartheid and the campaign against apartheid in their files and the campaign against yeah. uh, uranium mining, right? <laughs> unions are political bodies as much as they are um, well, I mean, labour bodies about labour. We, we know that I, we, uh, you can see this today from the union supported, uh, the ACTU Union supported um, same-sex marriage. Yeah. So there's this union-wide decision, but it wasn't the members, right? So support same-sex marriage. Okay, I voted yes, fine. I even went to the post box. I hate leaving the house. You know, I'm I'm actually, you know, I'm a bit funny on marriage, but you have lived inside queer culture, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. And so you know how this campaign sapped so much energy out of that particular movement, right? Sure. But it, cha- it changed it. But the marriage so- equality campaign, is a, it's a conservative demand, right? Oh, fuck yeah. Um, but the trajectory of queer movements, say from the global justice movement where, you know, there was a queer block and there were queer groups who were active on issues of, um, forgiving third world debt and um, the quick conditions of yeah. workers in the developing world, it seems a big trajectory, but, like, you work with what you've got. Yeah, and I mean, sure, but this was not something that came from the membership and this was not, I don't know which organisation proposed it. Like, um, There's a lot of middle class gay and lesbian people, right? And no, 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 of, of, of course. And they they run a, I, a lot of those organisations. Yeah, no. Absolutely, but there was this, I mean, I observed it. In but even Mark says we are for bourgeois rights, okay? We do want equality in yeah, bourgeois so I, rights. I mean, look, I'm very tedious on this matter and I don't I'd, Look, I, there's a lot of, I'm well established on my criticisms of the um, gay marriage campaign. The th- look, the, the main thing I disagreed is most people thought that we would lose that vote. I was completely confident that we would win that vote and that's because... I know my family are a working class family and I know they were going to come out and vote yes. And there are lots of ordinary working class people who did 
leave the houses, post in votes and vote yes. I was more concerned with how conservative a lot of the queer community were, as if working class people are these horrible, racist, homophobic, awful people uh, who, who couldn't even be won to a yes vote. Well, some of them didn't need to be won because some of them are queer themselves, mm. have queer people in their family, and actually took the opportunity to come out and vote. I can, you know, like, I was always confident we were going to win that vote. Generally speaking, I mean, it was just a ridiculous thing. Um, of course it was. It was It was, It was. was a nonsense. Um, you know, there were many people who were quite hopeful afterwards that this has really politicised young people and they were excited to apparently vote and participate in that. Enrolments went up, right? Pete, you had to get on the register and there was a big increase in the enrolments of young people in that. Yeah, um, it was... It was Through that. Yeah, it was fine. It was a good result and, and I'm glad and... You know, thank you very much for suddenly being interested in queer rights because, you know, you want some gay people at your dinner party, frankly. I'm only talking about a few people, but people like to have... Anyway, sorry, I won't go on. I have strong feelings about this um, because nobody had been interested, except for maybe the BLF, I believe, had some uh, solidarity with what was then called gay lib, right? No one had stood outside, you know, parliaments for dirty pieces of legislation. Like, Well, there's always been trade unions who have campaigned on the basis of sexuality. But, yes, you're right. You're thinking about during the green bans that the BLF put bans in place at Macquarie University on two occasions. There was a male student and a female student. One was a teaching student who was told they couldn't go on teaching rounds because they were... Um, because of their sexuality and another one who was going to be kicked out of their on-campus accommodation. And the BLF, a working-class union of labourers and largely men, put bans in place and refused to yeah. work on buildings at, and, and, at I mean, to, to put it simply, it was like, you know, you're getting fucked, um, we, we stand with you. And it was an extraordinary coalition which was, I think, deregistered by... The Hawke government? Yes, indeed. Yeah. And in the book as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's this really, sorry, you've got you've got to go and do important things. Um, but mo- most Marxist people, right, have an absolute position on join your union. Yeah. I'm sort of like... Uh, I, I would never not be a member of my yeah, union. Yeah, I, I know. I agree. Of course. And you guys who do stuff and, uh, and are active, uh, I'm kind of more like the socialist house cat in Australia. You know, I'll, when you guys ask me to come and do something, I will... Um, you generally find me palatable. Um, I mean, you are silly people because you you think I will attract a crowd, which I never do, but, you know, thank you for the invitation. And, oh, Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, great group of people in Melbourne. It's so nice to see them going out to suburbs that aren't in the inner city, Um, which, I, I mean, I know there's practical reasons for focusing, you know, activism on the inner city, but I can't afford to live in the inner city and it happens all over. There's there's great people and they're usually pretty like join your union, join the union. How do I tell a young lady who emailed me, she was in the tort at her job at a, you know, discount retail store. She was trying to understand things, asking, among other things, what's neoliberalism and she was in the SDA really bright chick, but she'd written an opinion piece about her conditions. I won't, you know, uh, betray her confidence, I guess, 
um, or scoop her, but it was a particular thing that the SDA had done. Like, so the uh, Australia's biggest union, right? They're a pack of cunts, yes? They're very conservative. Yes, which is ac- ac- academic ease. Um, and so... Are you asking what no, do so you I do told, when I, your union is rubbish? Okay, so I asked my Marxist friend, what should she do? Like, so there's the alternative union, which... I don't know too much about, but they seem good. I mean, they they have you have to respond to the SDA. I mean, why is why don't more people know that the biggest union in Australia is vehemently opposed to abortion? For me, there are the SDA is a particular problem in the union movement, and I've been a member of unions who I've who've been pretty conservative. But there's a difference between having a union and building a union and building the power of working people in a workplace. If you've got it, the union is its members. Yeah, and that, therefore, but it's not. You know it's not. That's not the reality. I'm not arguing with I don't, you. I disagree. Like actually there are lots of examples about how where unions have done great things but also where ordinary workers organise within a workplace outside of the normal union structures to um, make sure that they win conditions. We're a particularly low ebb of union power and, like, labour power within workplaces. But what choice is there but to organise? Well, yeah, I I know, but, I mean, I've had the experience. And, you know, if I talk to people about this, they say, oh, well, oh, well, you're in a very conservative union and whatever. But I talk to other people in unions and I've, I've been to actions and I've got my training as a delegate and I've talked to other people and we are strong-armed by people from the AWU, scary bitches, you know, I mean, you know, very impressive physically, but we're, we're strong-armed, we're told what to say, we're marched into Parliament House and asked to tell our stories, but we're given a sheet from which to read our stories. You get blokes who may, may not even have an opinion on same-sex marriage, handed T-shirts, wear this T-shirt, Right. Yeah, you, and it's way union... too top down, right? Like, because for you... me, things need to be bottom up in unions. But what choice is but there? Then, These but... are all correct examples. These all really happen. There are big problems in lots of unions, and every union can and do things better. But what choice is there but to organise ordinary people to try and make their life in lot better I'm... and the I and know. a better lot for the majority? I I I know, but the experience of it is so depressing and. Like, I'm not, I mean, not to bang on. Sure, you not to have become completely crushed in this country. That's what the book's about. How did the unions get incorporated into this economic restructuring process that actually was to the disadvantage of their members? Okay, so they're, they're not entirely victims. what the book is about. They're not victims, they rolled over. I'm saying that at the point of the economic crisis where you know, Fraser hadn't been defeated by the unions but also Fraser had not been able to defeat the unions... People were looking around for what kind of option to take the union movement forward. People, and the unions quite rightly were worried that there'd been a decade of recessions, that unemployment was high, and the option that the unions went for was to basically work with the government and businesses to restructure um, capitalism in this country. And it was, in the end, to the detriment of the union movement and union members. Yeah, I mean, I I know, I I don't know what your opinion is, but... There had to be at that time in, a, in capitalist nation states in a state of advanced decay or something. We don't say global north or 
The you mean the advanced anything. capitalist countries? Yeah. You know, so the, 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 like the advanced industrialised countries? Um, yeah. Yeah, satellites of the United States, um, the, the upholders of the ongoing colonial um, project. Um, yep. yeah. Oh, goodness me, I'm sounding like student politics. I hope I'm making you feel <laughs> nostalgic. Okay, so not to be a wanker, right, but my union and other unions in the Marxist sense, like they have a very bad case of the ideology sniffles. They genuinely believe, and I've spoken to them privately, they think that the new program of organisation, how they're going to shift and be more meaningful is have more women in the unions. They sold us out on Change the Rules. They asked us to come to their marches. We came to their marches, organised socialist groups, said Change the Rules is good, the ACGU is encouraging you to talk to other workers. Um, Change the Rules is impenetrable dross. I'm sure you read it. I read it several times to see if it made any sense. There were some benefits apparently, but it was written in a language. The problem with Change the Rules wasn't the content. It's that it was an electoral political strategy. Yeah, I know It was that. all about the election. It's not about building I know, unions. I know that, but how does Sally McManus sleep at night? She asks, you know, and I'm asked by my union to recruit young people who are getting fucked over to pay $20 a week in our case, $20 a week for me recently, I mean, I'm okay now, I'm not going to ask to borrow any money, has meant quite a lot. Absolutely. And look, I think Sally is actually one of the better ACTU leaders we've had in What's a she long done? time. What's she done? Built the ASU and, you know, she actually what's, turned sorry, what's that? the that, Australian Services Union where she came from and she really, you know, over years really built um, yeah. that union up amongst which they oh. represent community workers and others. But I think you can have criticisms about change the rules, et cetera, but that's about having an argument within those, amongst those people who are in unions or might potentially want to join unions who actually want to expand, you know, the power of working people in, in workplaces. Union organisers don't want to hear what members have to say. Um, Absolutely. They and don't find allow agitators to come to meetings. I've asked people from other unions to, um, you know, come to our organising meetings and uh, they're not permitted. There's a, and the last... But that's about an orientation. Like, I think... It's common though. I mean, I've spoken to other people. Some people do speak out about the problem of trade unions. Like, I think Tim Lyons' article, um, which is in Mianjin, about um, problems of trade unions is one of the best thing that's been written in the last decade. Oh, so that was the thing about how unions can't campaign anymore. Well, the thing is, yeah. he's not a Marxist. He's not even from the left of the union movement. He's nominally from the right of the union movement. But he actually wants to bring back a militant strategy and knows that we have to start going on strike and taking serious actions to win gains. Yeah, I just don't think we can... And sometimes we need to do that outside of what is legally allowed. I, mean, I know there's good people there, right? But... They don't understand class. They don't talk about it. They are fixated on women, right? They use the whole Me Too thing, fine, whatever. That's partly because the numbers of union, people who've been joining unions recently are women, right? That's actually part of the recruiting ground. Yeah. Um, but I but think what they do for us in terms of, you know... We, look, there you, are bad examples in unions and there are good examples of things being tried. And for me... 
we can't just complain, right? No, no, actually, I know. about all those things wrong, and there aren't many. But oh, actually, no, we, we still a, fight. Yeah, right? no, I, absolutely. I'm talking to you as a fairly mentally unwell person because of a. I work think your related. union is in one of the toughest positions because the the number of positions in media arts and entertainment that are now permanent, right, who can be that permanent base, who've got stable jobs inside big media companies is shrinking and it makes organising really difficult and it makes it, That's you know, what I'm the told. freelance That's life is told, massively, but, you know, I have massively friends. hard. I have prominent friends who will go on wildcat strikes. You know, I mean, I'm not saying we sort of actively stop, but I found it too emotionally draining to go to meetings. I got very upset, which I thought was probably Absolutely. normal. And in if a, you're in freelance and like, under enormous personal and financial stress I mean, because of that. People should be crying difficult. at union meetings, right? Um, it's surely a safe space in which you can be honest about your life, right? And why are we having these meetings at six or seven at night? You know, things like that. It's just, you know, how do we connect how are we in the same physical space? But I'm, I'm well, I'd say I'm consistently told the view is, and I know you have a more refined view of this, is that the workers are blamed for not joining the unions. But the Absolutely. unions. Absolutely, and that is wrong, right? When union organisers start from the position of people aren't joining and therefore there's something wrong with them, they misunderstand that the unions have made mistakes and not actually represented the interests of workers very well, and is it any surprise that people don't join? Yeah. That's why I think rather than talking about how do we rebuild this union, we actually have to start from something else, which is how do we rebuild the power of working people in this workplace? So you find the best people, whether they're inside the union or they're not, and when you've got 9%... The best people? The best people, the people what, what who want to fight, people? the oh, people right. yeah, who no, want to do things. The people and sometimes that they're fight. not even going to be in unions. But you know, right, so the, the, you know that there's this whole organising model based on Marshall Gans, the guy that did yeah. Obama's campaign. I mean, you know, Obama was a one in a million charmer. Like the guy but is there's a... no there's no magic bullet, right? There's always this theory that this latest style of organising that we're going to import from successes in the US or import from somewhere else is going to work, but there is no substitute okay, especially from organising on the, the ground. The organisers often don't have a conception of class. I, I mean, I, I don't want to demonise Sally McManus. I mean, I think she, you know, seems... But she's an incremental change person. Um, she's made statements that were very offensive to young people kind of like coming into like, so how can you not come into a sense of politics when you know you're going to have to live with your parents and the, there is no stable employment? Like these kids have a very different life, as you know, far better than me. Um, and you live in Sydney, you see poverty and you encounter it with your students. And I mean, you know better than me. You see yeah, like, but most young people don't even know what a union is. Yeah, because right? the unions don't know what a union is and they say... Possibly, but it's a, all I'm saying is it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult place. Being a union organiser is an incredibly difficult job. Yeah, of course. That you doesn't do with mean like I don't me. think that the way unions organise is perhaps been in the wrong direction. So I think like sometimes we're arguing in the tent, aren't we? We're saying we know you, you know, we know I'm, this union is working hard and th these organisers are working hard, but there are problems. They've got a lot of real estate, right? They've got a lot of fucking money. They need to go on a weekend fucking retreat or something 
and understand what they're fighting for. They talk down to people. Now, Absolutely. I don't think they need to go on a retreat. They're not just talking to themselves. Yeah. Actually, union organisers need to build rank and file delegate networks where those delegates actually talk for themselves like, and the best unions, that's what they do. You know, this is basic. Absolutely. Right? right? This is like basic. They're a professional managerial class. They're very close with journalists. Um, the way that social media is 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 organised, um, which is, you know, a very corporate space and, you know, you're nice liberal ladies are getting these positions. Celebrities are getting positions, you know, because it all looks nice on Not the web. all of them. Like, no, I, I know. But, but yeah, they're, okay. they're radically different to what they were in the 60s and 70s when most organisers came from the shop floor, right? Yeah. Um, and yes, okay. we, yes, we need more of that. Um, okay, so let's just talk about John Setka. That's obscene. That's absolutely obscene. But like with Assange, I think that we can know that John Setka personally may have, may have behaved in ways that are unacceptable. Okay, so but have is you that ever... Why, is that why the Liberal government is going after Setka? No. There no, is so, a no, political... Sally McManus is there going after There is a political agenda against the CFMEU. Yeah, there right? is a political so, agenda from within the Labor Party and from within the ACTU. Like, it's well known that Anthony Albanese wants to put Reardon in. He's not going to get in because whatever you think of Setka... The members love him. And Sally McManus knew who the woman was. She knew. She must have known. I mean, I'm not saying that for a fact. Sorry, Sal. I'm sure you're good. Let's talk one day. Explain to me your program of incremental change and explain to me how you felt uh, talking about this woman, this unnamed woman, this woman who couldn't be named legally, but a woman who couldn't even name herself legally, I think, but made, you know, Everyone in the press knew that it was Emma Walters, right, John Setka's wife, which she announced as soon as she was legally able to do, right? So, and I, I don't but mean the, to argue with the you, thing but... with me with the CFMEU is I have no control over whether John Setka remains in his position or not. Oh, no, of course not. Um, and no but one... I do two research projects that involve the CFMEU. One is about the collapse of the Westgate Bridge in 1970 yep. where 35 yeah, workers were killed. Yeah. And one is about heat stress at work and the experience of construction workers. And with climate change, heat stress events are going up. Now, as an academic, I have enormous admiration for the CFMEU, right? They are, it's one of the most high-risk jobs with the greatest number of deaths in in injuries in the country and, the, and what can, uh, gets I, lost in the media shitstorm about Setka is the fact that here we have a militant union who is militant because actually they have really dangerous working conditions. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because my dad was a builder, not a union man, but um, he was a builder. Like there's a very different way of speaking and interacting on a building site because uh, so uh, I'm terrible at physical labour. Have you ever done any? <laughs> Not for pay, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm like no upper body strength, can't see. Um, but my father can was bench a, press sixty kilos though. You fucking my god! No, I can. So you're getting more and more arousing, right? <laughs> so the way you work affects the way you are, right? It just it yes. just does. So you spend um, like there's there's you know mate get out of the way. There's a hook about to decapitate you. You don't say, 
oh, sir, you know, uh, move your head, Yon. Um, you say, fuck off, get out, you know, get out. And when I was six or seven, I heard my father because they were digging up, um, putting a in-ground pool and, you know, they'd done a slab exchange and he had blokes from the site, right? And Dad was saying things that I'd, I'd, I'd never heard. It was actually fairly amusing, you know, because my, my father who speak, spoke to me in, you know, had a bit of a plum, right? Mm. But on the site, this is how they spoke. Like you've got to speak like that. And frankly, my friends in media, you are filthy fucking cunts and you know that and you, you know, you roughhouse and you talk. But one of the main people I deal with in the CFMEU and who's helped um, with that heat stress project is a female president of the New South Wales Construction and General Division of the CFMEU. They don't like CFMEU though. They don't like, they don't. No, they don't. They, but like, the government I'm didn't like that. the MUA either. The Labor Party don't like oh, well, SEPCA. Well, some, you know, they don't it's like, factionalised. Some do. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they're trying to, just on a personal level, what really upset me was the use of a woman for political gain. But I've, that happens everywhere, right? And the thing is I have no power over or involvement in that SEPCA decision and generally I think these things should be democratic decisions of union members. Yeah. Unions should be democratic and... I would love to talk to you again. I would love to talk to you about your concept of anti-politics. You have to go. Sure. Thank, thank you very much for having me on. Yes, and thank you for telling me off. I, I, what did I tell you off? I know, you didn't really tell me off. But, okay, so now, on genuinely, what, what does one do? Like, join a union and do what? Like, go to every meeting and attempt to be heard and lose your... Being a member of union is not about going to meetings. It's about building solidarity and strength in your workplace. And that sometimes means working with union members, but there is, what, 13 or 14% membership of unions. In the private sector, it's at like something like 9%. Mm. If you're just talking to other union members, you're talking to a tiny amount of people in your workplace. I'm lucky. I'm in a union that has better density, um, like has has more, you know, per 100 members has more and is reasonably strong and the academic and um, professional staff at universities do tend to go on strike um, during bargaining period. But, you know, you've got to talk to non-union members as well oh, you, about you know, conditions. You, and you, I, you ask them when they're drunk. Like I ask people <laughs> when they're drunk for money. It works really, really well, but, the, you know, don't you think organising is is relative can be kept relatively simple? There are big problems for the union movement, but we can't take them on our shoulders. You're just trying to find that one more person in your workplace or in your local neighbourhood that agrees with you or disagrees with you, but they actually want to change things. You're just looking for that one next person, and when there's two of you, you're looking for that third person. Sometimes we just got to keep it simple. Hmm. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Thanks, Helen. I feel troubled, um, but somewhat optimistic. She knows a lot about Gramsci. I didn't ask her anything. Thank you so much. <laughs> You've been listening to Knackers and the Vag. <laughs>